listeners, a couple of weeks ago, I asked you all for your insight on how you're managing to find work-life balance and set healthy limits as we return to some version of normalcy in the world. Your responses were touching and really, really helpful. Emily wrote in, quote, as someone who has many interests and talents, I often have to let this little phrase guide my actions. How many no's does it take to be able to say one true yes? That's good. I like that, Emily. I feel like I can uh, imagine myself pulling that out and using it. So thanks for writing in. Aaron wrote, setting boundaries in your work life is important. It's okay to say no. Leave work at work. Remind yourself that you work to live, not live to work. I can't even believe it. My listeners act like they need my help. Sounds like you guys have it all sorted. And finally, from Alice, I feel you so much. It felt really good to hear someone else talking about the feeling that I've been having. I've just been completely overwhelmed as we go back towards normal life, which you're right, is the thing we all wanted. So I have one strategy that feels like it worked for me, which is to text people back when they're trying to make plans with me and just be really honest and say things like, I'm trying to preserve mental health by not overcommitting. I hope that helps. Alice, I feel like I would even just make a slight change and just say I'm trying to not overcommit. Thanks for all your responses. Hopefully that was as helpful for you as it was for me. Now, without further ado, on with the show. The thing that I've said to her most over the years is, Oprah, get more rest. Mm -hmm. Like, you, you do not get enough rest. And she's like, like genuinely right. sleep, like actual sleep at night. Yeah. Uh huh. She never missed a day of that show. I mean, everybody took it for granted that Oprah would be there. Mm -hmm. And nobody knew how tiring that is. Yeah. Nobody understands that. Listen, I do. I have a weekly podcast. Yeah. Okay. I know oh, what it is like. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. How? So. How? I just do it. I just make it happen, Martha. Tig, you need more rest. This is Don't Ask Tig. I'm Tig Notaro. And my advice, as always, is don't listen to my advice. Today, dear listeners, I'm joined by renowned author, Harvard-educated sociologist, and life coach, Martha Beck. Martha, welcome. Thank you so much. I was just telling you before we started the show that I got your book, The Way of Integrity. And you asked me why I was drawn to it. And I think just, I'm very interested in honesty. Hmm. And I know that I'm a human being. I am not 100% honest in all that I do. I strive so much to be honest. Hmm. I think of my brain as an addict. And I really make an effort to deal with things and confront things as they come. The reason being, I don't want in my attic to come across an old dusty box that I have to go 
and blow the dust off of and read what it's labeled as. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> what I gathered from your book, it felt like there was a lot to do with honesty. Yeah. And not just honesty in what you say, but in honesty in what you do. Yes. So if you do something that's wrong for you, it affects your body and your mind exactly like telling a lie. And in Telling even a small lie has very dramatic effects on everything. It's If you read the research, it's incredible. People who just say they're not going to lie quite as much for a couple of weeks have measurably fewer illnesses. They have better relationships. They come back to the researchers and they're like, yeah, my whole life got a lot better because I told like six fewer lies a day or something. But anytime we're doing anything that's wrong for us, that instantly kicks in. Mm -hmm. Like our bodies and our minds want us to be honest, want us to be true to ourselves. And when we're not, we pay for it. Yeah. And reading your book influenced a decision of mine in my life. I thought, you know what? I know that this opportunity is potentially great. I know that there is potentially a lot of money down the road. Hmm. My heart and soul cannot do this. Wow. And I don't want to be steering myself off course in life. And yeah. and the more I stay on course, the happier I am, the healthier I am, the better my days are. Yeah. So that's what drew me to your book and I got so much out of it and so I thank you for it. Thank you. I wish more people were like you because they wash up on the shores of those bad decisions, you know, really broken. And, you know, I've asked people, people who have been in horrible marriages, terrible jobs they hated, their whole lives are wasted. And I say, when did you know? I mean, really, if you go back and you think about what you were feeling, what your instincts were telling you, what was the first red flag? And it was like always day one. Yeah. Day one. And yet we continuously violate our own truth to please other people. And that's the, there are only two reasons that we ever leave what's right for us because babies are born programmed to do what's true for them. That's our nature. And then we smash into culture, which is trying to please other people in any sense. And we end up acting in ways that are meant to please others and abandoning our true selves. That's what I mean by a loss of integrity. And integrity just means getting those broken selves back together. Mm -hmm. But once we're off course, as babies, we actually don't know. Most people aren't like you. They can't feel where that truth lies, and they can't feel that they're off it because they've always been off it. They actually don't know what the solid ground feels like. But then what they do know is that they suffer more and more and more while trying to be better and better and better until finally they break. And that's when they go looking for the truth finally, but often it's really late in the day. Well, yeah, and I, I certainly struggle with it. I'm not, it's not always clear for me, but I'm on a constant journey to find it. I'm trying to figure it out. It just was really helpful to read your book. Oh, thank you. Now, what exactly is life coaching? I am a vegan uh -huh. and I got a certificate for plant-based nutrition and I'm wow. interested in doing plant-based coaching Cool. and I want to help people that are interested in it. Right. And so I'm curious what life coaching is outside of plant-based coaching. I don't know. I mean, I didn't know it was a thing. 
I was a business school professor and business school students would come to my office and they'd say, they'd have questions, but the questions were not about multinational business management, which is what I was teaching. They were like, wait, you said the other day in class that we should enjoy our jobs. I don't know if I heard it right. Could you just go back? So I was like, all right. And finally they started paying me and I was like, well, it beats working. And I wrote a book about it. Like, here, I will put everything I know in this book. It's $24. Take it and leave because I'm very introverted. And it just backfired horribly and they kept coming. And then I read in USA Today that I was a life coach. (laughs) But what it really is, is somebody comes in and sits down and says, I I have no idea what to do with my life. I'm completely lost. I, I just don't know what to do. And then I look at them really intently and I say, yes, you do. You know exactly what to do with your life. And then they start to cry, and then they give me money. And that's really the whole thing, because I don't believe that I have anything to offer them. It's coded in our nature. But you clearly keep taking people's money, even if it's coded in people's nature. Well, they do seem to like being reminded that they know exactly what to do. That's the thing. They always know what to do. I don't know what they should do. The thing that's about me is that I'm a cultural maverick. I was just, I was born to like bust the culture wherever I went. Like I went to Harvard. I had, I chose to have a child with a developmental disability, Down syndrome. Then I went back to Utah where I was raised a Mormon and chose to come out as a lesbian. And people come to me for advice. So this is a very strange thing. But the reason is that the cultural pressures that are shaping their lives don't really affect me because I kept stepping outside of them. So when they come to see me, I can say to them, you and you alone know what you're meant to do. And they do start to cry. I'm really telling the truth about that. And they do then start to tell the truth about what their lives were meant to be. And I joke about it, but its I swear to God, sometimes I want to take off my shoes because it's holy ground Mm -hmm. when somebody reaches that place. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful, and we all have it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what other life coaches do, but my whole thing is giving people permission and methodologies for recognizing their integrity and then choosing that against all the pressures that culture puts on us. Yeah, that's incredible. And so when does one know? when to go to a therapist versus a life coach? What I always say is a life coach is to a therapist as a personal trainer is to a physician. Mm -hmm. If you're mentally unwell, if you've been traumatized, if you've lived through something horrible, go to a trained therapist, please, please, please. Mm -hmm. If you're basically well, but you want to get to really high performance, real like high levels of joy and satisfaction, go to a life coach. Mm -hmm. Because we can boost you from just well to really great. All right. Well, I will call you about that. (laughs) Now, in your memoir, Leaving the Saints, you talk Mm. about coping with sexual abuse um, from your childhood. Mm -hmm. What advice can you give to people who are struggling to survive that specific trauma? First thing, take it really, really, really slowly. Mm-hmm. Like, I was all about ripping off the band-aid. It happened during that year when I didn't tell a single lie that I, I started having intrusive flashbacks and other things that are really overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And I tried not to go to therapy because I was in this very closed sort of Mormon community and everybody knew who my father, the perpetrator, was. And it was a real nightmare. So don't 
push it. And one of the things I did in this book, ironically, is give you a really, really gradual way to approach the things that scare you. And if you get anywhere near the territory of a severe trauma, go to a therapist for sure. Mm -hmm. But then triple up on things like positive self-talk, time for yourself, self-care. I mean, all that stuff about bubble baths and reading with a cup of tea and a warm blanket, it's cliche for a reason. Mm -hmm. When you've had a memory like that come back, your head has been blown off. Mm -hmm. You need to treat yourself like you're a soldier just off the battlefield. It is not funny and it's not quick. And it gives you more potential to come out on the other side as a person of joy and power in a way. It, it disempowers you so completely that when that bone heals stronger at the broken places, it gives you an extraordinary amount of power and confidence. It's a strange paradox that the level to which we've been harmed, if we can heal from that, takes us not just to normal, but above the level of normal functioning to something really powerful and wise. It's true. It, in any sort of trying time, you know, you think of those, I mean, I do for myself, like, oh, gosh, I wish I was just watching waves crash in, or I wish I could just take a hot bubble bath. And I, and it doesn't fix everything, but it, it's certainly a part of the path. Yeah. And being able to sit comfortably in a room and you uh, to allow that kind of horror, and it doesn't matter, any, any kind of trauma can do this. I've worked mm. with people who've had war trauma and everything. And if you sit quietly with yourself and you allow the truth to arise, because you actually do know exactly what to do with your life, and the first thing is to recognize where the wounding has happened and to heal it. That mm -hmm. is job one. So as you sit quietly, the pain comes up. And one thing you can learn from holding steady with that process is that it goes up and through. And it's interesting you mentioned waves, because everything in nature takes similar forms, and the way we heal comes in waves. If you can hold through a wave, mm -hmm. it gets better immediately, like right on the other side. Not a lot better, but a little, well enough, you know, good enough to go on. And then each wave lightens the pressure inside you. I felt like I'd been carrying 8,000 pounds of lead on my back. And then as these horrible memories came and they would eventually dissipate, I felt like I was on helium balloons. I was like, no wonder other people can get out of bed in the morning. This is great. <laughs> right. you know? Yeah. Any kind of really painful thing. Like, I mean, your whole cancer journey is a similar type of massive life trauma where you either go into darkness or you go into light, mm -hmm. you know? And if you... If you go into light, you become a truth teller at a much deeper level. I mean, I was talking a little bit about how it's to please people and fit the culture that we violate our truth. Mm -hmm. And when you choose to tell the truth about something the culture doesn't like, you go outside it and you start to have experiences that are much more authentic and personal and you don't get lost in the cultural flow as much. Mm -hmm. But you also are always something of an outsider. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to find your happiness with achievement or anything. And so you're always, that there's that seeking mode that goes on. That's like, I know there's something that's not just like getting an Oscar or whatever. Mm. I know there's a reason I'm alive. I know there's a reason that horrible things happen to good people. I have to find it. Mm -hmm. And I know it's connected to what I really am.
and then you become you become something very unusual i think mm -hmm. so yeah i think that happens to people who've gone through trauma yeah that's interesting everything everything is so interesting isn't it And now um, your Twitter bio reads author, teacher, wayfinder. What what exactly is a wayfinder? So that's a term that an anthropologist gave to some people in the Polynesian islands who have a special, uh, they're like the medicine people of that culture. But in their culture, that includes navigation and they're like superhuman. They set off from Asia knowing that the Hawaiian islands were there by watching the way the water broke on the hulls of their canoes. Wow. These people were like human supercomputers. And at a certain point in my life, I became fascinated by the fact that in every culture, there are people who are like this. It's actually a cluster of traits that is not hereditary. It just clusters in certain individuals. So these are the truth seekers. They're the psychologists. They're the entertainers. They're the storytellers. They're the artists, they're the animal lovers, the nature lovers. They combine these artistic and intuitive and intellectual talents in a way that makes them both sensitive and vulnerable. To, you're in California. I can use this language. Yes, I am. <laughs> But hopefully my listeners go beyond California. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> so, Martha, are you ready to give my listeners some much-needed advice or... Uh, Or will it be life coaching? It's all life coaching. Take everything we ever do as life coaching, And just in the sense that it's undefined. Yeah. But yeah, I, I hear they're not supposed to ask you, so I guess they'll have to ask me. Exactly. I mean... But then I'm going to ask I'm going to be on cruise control this whole episode, just <laughs> toss it all to you. Bring it. All right. This first question comes from a person of the cloth. Friend writes... Tig, be a minister sister and help. My congregation does not get along. Being virtual has been a godsend. To make matters worse, we are Quakers. How do we keep the distance to keep the peace without having to deal with the reality that we really don't like each other? I have to say, Martha, this was, you know, we get a lot of different versions of the same questions. Uh-huh. I have not gotten anything like this one. Oh, I hear it all the time. Ministers <laughs> are just accosting me on the street. I do a podcast too with my partner and we're calling our next episode, How to Keep Your Loved Ones at Bay Now That COVID Won't Do It For You. So, <laughs> I mean, it's a common problem. Yeah. This is what I would honestly say. Uh-huh. Because I've been to a bunch, you know, I get shipped around and taken to spas and temples and things. Best thing ever. Pass out signs for people to wear on a lanyard around their necks mm -hmm. that say, thank you for observing silence. And they just refuse to let anyone speak to anyone else. Ah. That is the best way. And here's the thing. I mean, I'm only half joking because when I used to do seminars. See, I didn't even take that as a, any part of a joke. I heard that and I was thinking. Good, it's not. I might put that around my neck and just walk around the world with, um, please observe the silence. I have a oh friend my gosh. who wore a sign like that for a month and didn't speak a word for a month and <laughs> lived in San Francisco, went to the dentist, did all this stuff, and she'd just point to the sign and she had the best month of her life, right? That sounds so appealing. You need a sign. Yeah. 
Thank you for observing silence. <laughs> Thank you for observing silence. But here's the thing. When you do that, mm-hmm. if you are silent, mm-hmm. you realize, I mean, I have a son with Down syndrome. He barely talks. So we've learned to feel each other communicating in a space that is not verbal. It's more from the right side of the brain than the left. So it's not verbal. It's it's very present moment and it's very authentic. And his authenticity, his integrity, it doesn't come from his extra chromosome. It's just who he is. It's taught me that when you are silent in your truth, you affect people even though they don't know it. I mean, Nelson Mandela, for 27 years in this 10 by 10 foot cell, not even photographs of him were allowed out. He got so clear. He got so pure in his thinking. He like combed out all his own prejudices and everything. And he shifted the whole world. He prevented a bloodbath in that nation with stillness. Mm -hmm. And we don't have that. Right. So God, if the Quakers can't do it, we're really, we're screwed. So do the sign. Yeah, I think you're right on. I would say that's our advice, friend, but that is Martha's stellar advice. And (laughs) I'm going to use it going forward in my life. So I would say that I'll I'll pray for you, but I'm I'm going to assume that uh, you already tried that, friend. Oh, I'll totes pray for you. You'll totes pray? Yeah. Okay. I mean, not fast. I mean, I have, I do have boundaries. Okay. <laughs> but I will pray. <laughs> All right, Martha, we'll be back with more questions right after the break. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. You can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Sephora, and Zappos. And even stack deals on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. And we're back. Martha, this next question concerns a tough breakup. Mm. Grace writes, Hi, Tig. My boyfriend broke up with me out of nowhere. He came over, dumped me in 20 minutes, left, and I haven't heard a word from him since. I am, of course, hurt, but mostly so enraged by the way he went about this. I've tried everything, guided meditation, yoga, writing letters that I never send, but nothing eases my anger and I'm still livid. What can I do to move on and stop being so angry? Your usually pleasant friend, Grace. Now, Martha. Yeah. I can't help but feel out of the gate that nothing comes out of nowhere. And Mm. although it seems like it comes out of nowhere, and it doesn't seem like Grace is going to get the closure from this ex. And Mm -hmm. so it reminds me of what you were saying about kind of sitting in the silence. And it seems like honesty would come 
and rear its head in those moments because it's all on grace to figure it out. And it's great. She's drawn to these practices, like you said, that are helpful meditation and yoga, maybe take a bubble bath. Yeah, that's not in that's not in the list, but get in the bubble bath. But my initial reaction to this is this isn't out of nowhere and it has to be something where you guys split from whether it's your own truths or your truth together in a relationship that you zoned out on. What do you feel, Martha? I think you're onto something here. So the, I said earlier, I asked people, what was the first red flag? Yeah. And you'll find it, it, wouldn't, it wasn't out of nowhere. You knew the first day that he was eh, not so great. But the other thing is, you think you've tried to deal with your anger by, what was it, yoga and meditation? And like, that's not anger. It's stifling like, it. Yeah, you need to like get angry. Mm-hmm. If you want to get past the anger, you got to let the anger be what it is. Mm-hmm. And there are two kinds of anger. One will ruin your life, one will save it. The anger that ruins your life is the kind you repress, right? Tig's absolutely right. If you were betraying yourself to be with this dude, like write down a letter of all the things he does wrong and then cross out his name and put yours at the top and it'll say, why did you dump me? Why were you not true to me and all this stuff? And you'll have to realize, I, Grace, have done this to myself by staying with this man or by staying with him emotionally after he dumped me, mm-hmm. right? So that's one thing. But don't go blaming yourself. The anger that will save your life, Audrey Lord says the, our role is to change the anger that is affliction into the anger that is determination to bring about change. So you, you need to get a list of like, I will never let this happen again. I will not let you tromp on my feelings. I will not stifle my own knowledge of what's going on. I won't stay quiet when I want to speak up whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So that's the anger that is determination to bring about change. Like I wrote a book about Mormonism that said, I think it's weird and it's riddled with sexual abuse and um, it's a lot of it's kind of crazy. And people tried to kill me for it. Mm -hmm. Well, they said they were going to try to kill me. I don't know if they did. But they tried to sue me. They tried to put me in prison. Yeah. I was not foaming at the mouth. Because I had done the thing that I had to do. I'd spoken my truth out loud. And then they came at me. But I I had done the thing that I wasn't supposed to do. I had told. And the secrecy was the real burden. So I didn't have any anger after that at all. Because mm-hmm. I'd taken the step to bring about change. For you, you can't change the dude. But you can change, as Tig said, the part of yourself that always knew and sold yourself for less than you were worth. Well, I didn't exactly say that, but that's what I meant. Martha knows. Everybody knows that's what I meant. Grace, <laughs> her hearts go out to you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd let I'd let the anger rip. Um, Absolutely. All right, Martha. Our next question comes from an outsider in the South. Mary oh. writes... How do you handle being LGBTQ in red states? I know you grew up in the South. She's talking to me. I'm originally Mm. from Mississippi. And I can't picture you playing straight. I'm 30 and have been in Missouri since mid-2019. But the few like-minded groups here seem to be made of teens and 20-somethings. How do I explore and express myself in my deeply conservative rural area? I mean... You're the expert here. I guess I'm the expert. I, you know, it's really crazy because I have 
a history in Mississippi and Texas. And some of my oldest friends are still my friends from my childhood. And it was in conservative areas. I don't know how I found these people. I don't know how far away Mary is from a nearby city. I don't know if there's meetup or online groups that you can be a part of. I know there's a company that a bunch of friends of mine and I actually started. It was a place that you could go in Los Angeles, but in the pandemic, it became an online organization called the Jane Club, and it unites women from all around the world, and they're all very like-minded, and they have like a night where you can have wine together and have your dog on Zoom and you uh you know you you meet people through these different experiences. I mean it's not all like wine and with your dog, but there's cu- <laughs> there's curated events that they do online so that people that are like-minded can find each other and um and it seems like that's one of the really positive things that's come out of the internet is to mm. be able to connect to people that are outside. And I know a lot of the typical thing is, well, why don't you move away from where you are? Why don't you? It's not that easy. Not everybody, Mm-mm. you know, you have your life, you have your job, you have your family. But check out the Jane Club. I mean, it's not specifically LGBTQ, but there are events and groups through these sorts of online organizations. But is there anything that you can add to that, Martha? Yeah, I'm a lot weirder than you are. And there's something that I put in this book that was weird enough that the editor said, I don't think you should put this in, and I fought for it. Okay. And it's it's about a concept called fractaling. Do you know what fractals are? Yeah. There's shapes that reproduce at different sizes. So mm-hmm. a twig looks kind of like a branch, looks a vein. like the trunk of a tree. Yeah, veins look like river systems. And I believe that whatever we contain inside ourselves mm-hmm. creates a natural, it's like a crystal that reforms itself in larger and larger groups out around us. So your fans would be like you. So you're, they, we'd all be like a fractal of you. And Friendship circles are drawn to each other because they have similar fractals. And if you're living in a place that's shaming you, shame causes people to hide. Shame and fear and the fear of being shamed. The only way to cope with that if you're in a really shaming society, because trust me, Utah is no heaven for queer people. Um, You have to get rid of all the shame inside yourself, all of it. All the fear, all the shame has to go. I had to do this with having a child with Down syndrome too. When there's no shame left, there's a clarity that attracts people who are similarly clear. And what you'll find is that there are many people that are not coming out of the shadows because they're so afraid of shame. And if we all flee the conservative areas to go to enlightened places, we're just going to get even more divisive. But if we stay in the places we are and get really clear about our own integrity, people find us. Mm-hmm. Like groups form in a way that I've watched for my whole life that makes no sense unless there's some sort of mysterious natural power at work. And the moment you get out of fear and shame, which is when you're in total integrity, that it all goes, people will come out of the woodwork. Mm-hmm. I literally had a woman once, I was at a an art gallery, and it was full of partitions and stuff. And I was way at the back, and she came up and she said, oh, 
there you are. I thought there was someone like you in the back of the exhibit. I say, how did you know? And she said, I don't know. I was just like following a trail. And we became great friends. It was, it's weird. It's weird. Yeah, I know. I marvel over the fact that my close friends and I found each other as children in conservative Southern Texan Mississippi areas and still connect. And, you know, it's like when my friend comes in town with her family, I can't wait to have a dinner party with all of our other friends that are here in Los Angeles and won't miss a beat 40 something years later. Yeah. The thing is that everybody is being influenced by culture to appear to be sort of homogenous. They're all the same. When an honest person walks through and ripples all of that, ripples the the conformity, then the people who've been hiding, looking for someone like themselves, come out. And it turns out that most people are lovely and genuine and clear and beautiful and looking for connection. And everybody's pretending to be something slightly different from that. And once everybody's pretending out of fear, then all you've got is a massive fear. Mm-hmm. So you go out as a wayfinder, you know, like obsessed with truth and seeking, and people just follow you. People flock to you because, and it's, don't they say comedy is the truth about pain or something? Yeah, um, sure. I'm probably I don't know. Yeah, me neither. But you know, my partner saw you in Australia like many years ago. Oh, and I was okay. like, she said she was texting with someone on the front row, and she said, oh, my God, who is this? This person, <laughs> she is telling, like, the bald-faced truth. Like, uh-huh. holy shit, she's got no nothing uh-huh. in front of her that is disguising what she really is. And they were, like, riveted. And that's how I got to know of you. Uh-huh. Not for your comedy, but for your truth. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, I'm seeking and I, I want more and I want deeper and better. And so you're in for it. You're going to hear from me again. Mary, good luck with that and let us know how it goes. Um, Martha, before we part ways for now, we have a final segment, the best and worst advice. And it is oh. exactly as it sounds. Excellent. Okay. So what is the best advice you've ever received? When you trust yourself, you will know how to live. Goethe, German dude. German dude. Like, mm. what's the worst advice you've ever received? Uh, be Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Sorry. My friend who's coming to visit me is an ex-Mormon. Yes. Sorry. I know I shouldn't <laughs> celebrate when people lose their faith and go into it. No, it, is, it really is. It's just wonderful. To me. It's wonderful that so many things are a sin uh-huh. that when you're out of it, it's like, everything's a sin and I'm doing it. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, that's funny. Well, um, Martha, I really, I can't tell you how much I was looking forward to talking to you. And I can't tell you how much you will be hearing from me again. Oh, that's wonderful. It was truly a pleasure to have you and uh, speak to you. And uh, is there anything uh, that you would like to promote? Yeah, I have books and stuff. And you have a podcast? Oh, yeah, I have a podcast. It's called Bewildered. Bewildered. And I do it with my partner, Rowan Mangan, who is hilarious and right. Australian and obsessed with Tignataro. So, I mean, great. what else can I say? You don't need to say another thing. 
Thank you so much again. It was such a pleasure to meet you and talk to you. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you for everything you do in the world. You really are a force for good. Don't Ask Tig is hosted by me, Tig Notaro. It's produced by Thomas Willette, Shana Deloria, and Ryan Lore. Our editor is Beth Perlman, executive producer Lauren D., engineering and sound mixing by Johnny Vince Evans and Eric Romani, digital production by Christina Lopez, talent booking by Marianne Ways, production support from Pizza Shark. Our theme music is Friend in Tig by Edie Brickell and Kyle Crusham and Listen to Your Heart by Edie Brickell. Special thanks to Hunter Seidman, Lily Kim, and Alex Shafford. Concept developed by Tracy Mumford. Our executive consultant is Dean Capello and Gobsmack Studios. You can always ask for advice at don'tasktig.org. Just write in with your problem or send us a voicemail. Remember to follow us on social media at Don't Ask Tig. Don't Ask Tig is a production of American Public Media. And as always, thanks, Dana, and I'll tell Becky. stand-up comedian and sex symbol Tig Notaro. And I'm actor and writer Cheryl Hines. Before Cheryl and I got into the big business of podcasting together, (laughs) we were just simply friends. And we're still friends. But now we talk about a different documentary every week on our podcast, Tig and Cheryl, True Story. So whether you love documentaries or just want to hear us slowly lose our minds, check out Tig and Cheryl, True Story, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, cool. (laughs) 